Hello, and welcome back to How to Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. My name is Kate DeBrito. I'm your host and guide on this journey into happiness. Let's begin. Amanda Hodgson is a healthy habits coach living in Sydney who teaches her clients how to stick to habits to achieve goals and create a happy mindset. But when her fit, healthy husband was struck down by a life-threatening condition at the end of 2020, Amanda had to wonder, was this a test she had somehow requested from the universe? The next two years required her to practice what she preached during a truly challenging period for her family, putting her own habits and mindset to the test. She's an incredibly inspiring but humble woman, and I'm so pleased to have her on the show. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you're a healthy habit coach. Um, Yeah. Which is all about, I think, we'll talk about that, staying accountable and, you know, forming good habits for a happier life. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of things about you because I follow you on Instagram and you seem to be a pretty honest person and you've got a pretty extraordinary um, and remarkable story that's happened over the last few years and and we will get to that. But what I am curious about and what I don't know is where your journey began. Were you always into health and mindset? And Mm. if not, when did that journey begin for you? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for contacting me to ask me about this specifically because a lot of what's happened over the past two years, which we'll get to, has been the main focus. And while along the way people have been like, how do you do that? What? Um, I've been really passionate about sharing my biggest thing with work and what I do as a coach is if you're not living a healthy life full of exercise and good nutrition, then you're really not reaching your full potential. And I grew up playing basketball. I was very, very focused on my basketball, despite probably not being the best player, but my work ethic just kept me playing for as long as I wanted to play. Uh, So I didn't always stay focused in that. I obviously, life comes and I had kids and and not that I got unhealthy or anything, but my focus shifted. Eventually, through what I was doing with work, I realized that a lot of people were compromising health to reach work goals or life goals. And they're like, look how amazing this is. And I was like, yeah, but your health has just gone down the toilet. Like, is that worth it? Like, what? what's the trade-off here? And I kept seeing it in the corporate arena more and more. And that's when I have a great friend and she was my business coach at the time. And she's now one of my best friends. And she was saying to me, that's your message. Like that, she kept saying to me at the time, what you do is different to everybody else. And to me, it was just normal. I was just Hmm. like, well, this is how I just got myself back after kids and through going back to work and my morning routine and these things that I do every day, my self-discovery were the things that kept me saying that. What do you mean? People don't do that. So I guess the answer to that is I have always had an element of health and fitness. My husband and I, when we met, were huge fitness buffs. We met playing basketball and we were working out all the time and living a really disciplined life. And that amalgamated over time between my self-work and seeing what was happening around me to creating a message and a system that people could use for them as well. 
Well, you know, what I love about your message, and I don't know if this is intentional, is it doesn't make me feel bad. You seem to be about those things like accountability and forming healthy habits and trying to sort of set yourself up in the best possible light. But I never get that sort of feeling of like, you got to go, you got to grind, you got to push, push, push. It doesn't seem to be that kind of really aggressive message about like, you know, push yourself to the limits. It just seems to be a little bit more holistic. You've potentially given me the best compliment anyone's ever given me because that is exactly what I'm – because I can be a really intense person. Like I'm I'm not very apologetic about that this is my passion and when I start to talk about it, that takes over and I'm generally like, oh, my God, you need this. And so I've had to do a lot of learning over that time. And the biggest thing for me was presenting in a way that people could hear it. So instead of – you know, I've had phases where I seemed, you know, <laughs> I seemed like a robot, like – I get it. It looks easy for me to get up in the morning and work out in my garage and eat well and feed my kids well. But I really put in a lot of effort to trying to say, I get it. Like life sucks and stuff happens and it doesn't have to be like 150,000% all the time. Sometimes done is just done and that's good too. And I think you also don't sort of post lots of pictures of, you know, beautiful, you know, muesli bowls and just all that sort of you know airbrushed instagram the food picture this morning (laughs) don't look at my story (laughs) look i think the thing is i see that you definitely walk the walk um you know you're often challenging yourself you do lots of um you know fun little things like uh you know i think you're doing like the ab roller or something at the moment things that don't seem unachievable for other people it's not like you're saying hey let's knock out 20 you know full range pull-ups or anything like that and for those people People who don't know, you're not just about um, fitness, fitness goals. You're also just about sort of lifestyle things like walking and, and getting more fresh yeah. air and, and treating yourself well. But tell me, what are your top tips for, for staying accountable to achieve your goals, whether they are in fitness or around other things mm-hmm. in your life? One of the, well, the biggest thing that I do is I think the difference is that I use exercise as a tool to help people understand themselves a bit better and make those decisions for their life. So instead of it being about, you know, sometimes I use set goals to help people understand where they want to be and where they're going and where they're at, which is really important. But mostly it's about listening to what's going on in your own mind. And that usually comes out in a hard workout or a long walk or, you know, um, connecting with nature and, and attaching to the thing that it is you really need. One of my biggest tips would be I think that there's a big message out there to think positively and find your joy and, you know, all those things, which can be great but can also seem very far off for a lot of people. And I've been in a place where it's not only far off, it's pretty unattainable in terms of the stuff that's been happening around me. And one of the biggest things that helped me and a message I've had for a long time is to when you're really feeling stressed or negative or whatever it is, to find a neutral ground and use neutral thinking. So instead of going from like negative or sad to try and get to positive or happy, just try and get yourself to a point where it's it's neutral. Like, okay, what's really going on right now? Is my life that bad? What are the things that are challenging? How can I combat them? What are some of the things that make me happy? Can I implement them a little bit more? And just getting to a neutral ground where you're not punishing yourself for how you feel or what you're doing. That's probably my biggest tip. And in terms of accountability, it's like get some, anything. And the biggest tip I can give with that is people don't want to call you out. Like people, your husband, your best friend, whoever doesn't want to call you and go, 
hey, listen, slacko, get off the couch. You're really pushing the limits here. You have Mm. to give them permission to Mm. be kind, but do that. So whoever your person is, for me, it was Rob. And I went to him and I was like, I don't know if this is after I had my second child. I was like, I don't know if you remember who I used to be, but she's coming back. And that wasn't a threat. That conversation led to me going, can you please call me out on this? Like, stop telling me it's okay because I had a baby two years ago. Like, it's done. I need your help in creating this routine in our home and supporting that by taking the kids. I need you. And he still does it now. The other day I was like, oh, supposed to do a workout because it happens to me too. I'm like, I'm supposed to do a workout. I don't want to. And he's like, just get in there. And I'm like, fine. So once you give someone that permission, you know, and afterwards I gave him a big kiss because I was like, I feel so much better because of course you do and you know all these things. But you 100% of the time need someone that you can celebrate your wins with but who will mm. also remind you why you wanted to do what you're doing in the first place. So what personally, what are your three sort of non-negotiables for staying healthy and happy? You're putting me on the spot here. Three. <laughs> um make your bed every day bar none. Good one. And that has a bigger impact than people give it credit for. And I have not had a single client that has been like, nah, hasn't really made a difference. Because making your bed does two things. It closes your sleep time so it allows you to walk in your day, leaving behind whatever, you know, your bed and your feeling of lethargy or whatever it is. But also when you get back into it at night, it's such a better feeling. And I've got to thank my mum for this because she probably she laughs now because she's like, the amount of years I told you about this and you refuse to listen. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you were right. Um, oh, mum. Yeah, I know. So, And the other thing with that is I'm, I'm also about living very intentionally. So if you want to go back to bed for a nap or you want to go back to bed for some time and you're going to pull the covers back and get back in, like that's a decision and a choice you're going to make which is great if it's intentional, if you've decided to have an afternoon nap. But if you haven't made the bed and you just slide back on in because it was just like, whoops, here I landed and now I've had an extra two hours sleep and not done the things I wanted to do, that creates a spiral of like shame and self-guilt and things that then people carry into their day that's just unnecessary. Okay, so that's that's one. What's your number two? Two non-negotiables. Morning routine. And it doesn't have to be the same as everybody else's. Well, it can look different for everybody. And how's that look? Uh, (laughs) Depends on what my kids are doing. But no, (laughs) mine is have a glass of water, come downstairs, open the curtains, spend about five minutes outside in the early morning sunlight to set my circadian rhythm to being awake. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some deep breaths in and then a workout, which is usually about half an hour. I don't usually go much longer than that. And then get the kids to school. But it's always something for me first. Mm. That's different for everybody. It can include gratitudes and meditation and all sorts of different things. Okay. Uh, It has to suit the person. So bed, make your bed, morning routine, and the third one, non-negotiable. It's definitely exercise. I was was tossing up between exercise and nutrition then, but it's definitely movement because, yeah. Every day. Every day. I I mean, I'm sure there's Uh, times where that's impossible, but okay. So it's not every day. No. I've had clients come to me and say, I've got a goal. I'm going to work out every day for 365 days a year. And I was like, I can't be your coach then. Because what I've learned. That's interesting. Experience is that rest is a key factor in health. 
Yeah, I have heard you talk about that a lot. So tell me a little bit about that. Why is is that something that people are doing wrong, sort of driving themselves towards different goals, whether it's a, you mm-hmm. know, a, a fitness goal or a health goal in sort of being too intense about it? What's the, what's the rest component mean? Uh, it depends on who you're talking about, right? If you're talking about an Olympic athlete, then no. But if you're talking about someone who's not doing anything and they're trying to achieve something, healthy habits always happen incrementally so that you have to implement smaller things over a longer period of time and then add on to make it stick which is why we see so many you know do this 1200 calorie diet or work out for 90 days in a row or 75 hard like whatever it is if it's excessive it's always a big flash big red flag to me because a burnout and b it's just really hard to stay focused for that long for any human and then all that breeds is that thought of like failure or I didn't do it. And and the sentences that we all hear like, oh, I'll start again or I'll start over or, you know, maybe next week. So for me, any viable goal has to include a rest day or two or a rest period within, you know, the full time frame, whether that be a month, two months, six months, whatever it is. So a lot of people have have trouble setting those habits as you say they start off with you know the best intentions right. and then it can trail off really quickly i'm sure there's a lot of different methods you talk to your clients about but like what are a couple of things that people can do to really embed down a habit so that they sort of move beyond those initial week or two weeks yeah look it's i always say to people it's it's really simple but it's not easy because it takes consistency over a long time. So what I would recommend is implementing maybe two to three health habits that you want to start and do them consistently for four weeks. So you set your target. So I'm going to do these three things four times a week for four weeks. Tick it off a calendar, make sure you get it done. And you'll probably find at the end of that four weeks, you feel capable of more. And you might have already started to implement or organically you'll do other things because like sleep breeds sleep, health breeds health. Like you just start making better choices for yourself. But then implement a couple of more things um, intentionally and do that for another two or three weeks. And and you'll find your capability to take on more increases over time. You're kind of strengthening that muscle. But you have to be able to set those baseline habits first and build on them. That would be my number one tip. What do you think about the idea about time? When I was trying to set a new habit to meditate every day, I just gave myself the um, the challenge to meditate for five minutes. Now, I was doing it during COVID or a lockdown, so it was certainly easier. My life wasn't sort of as, as hectic. But I, I did read somewhere that um, – uh, consistency in forming a new habit is more important than than quality or quantity perhaps so is that a good way to do it to try and just do it every day to get it in and don't aim for like oh I I need to meditate for 40 minutes every day because you're not going to be able to sort of or maybe people can maintain it I wouldn't be able to yeah no yes and no so the five minutes is a really good tip like making it shorter for something like meditation that's a great tip and again, back to my rest theory, I wouldn't say I'm gonna you're gonna do it every day for four weeks, 
I would say, you know, my, I always give my clients non-negotiables. So while they might want to do five sessions a week, I'll be like, your non-negotiable is three. So if you get to Thursday and you're at one or two, you've got some work to do before Sunday, mm-hmm. right? You've got to fit that in and hit that consistently over time and then build on that. I bet that really encourages them to go hard early in the week. I would hate well, to be like facing facing you down yeah. on a Thursday. <laughs> That's why you hear those things going, never skip a Monday, because if you get that in, then you get Tuesday, and you're like, oh, I've done two. This is great. And what we know about the human brain is that we like to be rewarded, mm-hmm. right? So we hit those targets, and our brain feels all happy and joyful, and we go, oh, what else? And we start to seek that behavior more instead of the behavior that might be making us feel bad about ourselves. So once you start seeking that good behavior, that's like half of the battle. What do you find most challenging in staying consistent with your own habits? Life. (laughs) Um, The most challenging would be, you know, distractions. I, I, I think I like to say is like careful what you let distract you, careful what you allow to derail you because even if it's valid, like a sick family member or a toddler like that wakes up too early or whatever it is, you know, we really have to decide if that's the thing that's not and that's going to come in the way from us achieving our goal. So for me, my biggest thing would probably be the kids. Like they are a massive distraction for me because, you know, particularly the last couple of years, I've been the main caregiver for them. So that I have I've had to put them first, whereas my priority usually is like me first in the morning and then I can serve everybody else. I see you often, your kids are a, a part of your um, your Instagram feed in the sense that I can see that you're, it feels like you're trying to sort of embed some healthy habits with them too. I see you out on the basketball court, you're sometimes doing games and things. Is that put a part of what you're trying to do with your boys is to sort of get those healthy habits bedded down now? And do they how do they go with that? Uh, <laughs> I was kind of really easy on myself at the beginning where I just made the rule of like if I do it, they'll maybe replicate it and understand it. I didn't it wasn't until I had a friend come over who's younger than me and she doesn't have kids and she kind of stood back and she said, every time you speak to your kids, it's a lesson. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, there's nothing you say that doesn't teach them something. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a nag. She goes, no, no, like in the best way, it just it makes them use their understanding of themselves to go about their day. So I didn't know it was going to pay off. I don't I don't know that it's going to pay off, but Luke, it must have. Luke came and asked to play basketball and he applied himself with more discipline than I thought he had capable because he's not that person. He's like, if it's not scheduled, he's not doing it. Like if it's not something he has to turn up to, there is no extra effort. Whereas this, and, and this speaks to everybody, he has found the thing that makes him happy and that he wants to achieve something with. So he's more motivated by being a part of that and the outcome of, of that, then he is about sloughing around the house, like I tell him that he does. Mm-hmm. So he'll get up for his extra trainings and he'll say, hey, mum, how can I fix this? And so we have to be motivated by the thing we're doing. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it kind of feels a bit pointless. Mm-hmm. But they're a bit of both. Arlo will – Luke has now created his own morning routine and I haven't given it to him. So that was definitely a proud moment where I was like, oh, look at this guy. <laughs> but it's not something I am – I don't coach them through that. Um, I'm very proud of them for turning to those things. Arlo is applying himself the same way with football. He will train and do extra. He's, he will do the extra and go the extra mile if he loves it. So it's just something that I've let 
organically grow without putting too much pressure on myself because that probably would have driven me nuts because I'm a type A person. I would have been like, why aren't you doing this? And let's do this and have them scheduled to the eyeballs. But my kids don't really respond to that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the challenge you faced over the last few years. I wonder, before we go into the details, whether there was ever a moment where you thought, this is really ironic, that I am being tested on all of the things that I talk about all of the time, because I imagine it must have been a very testing time. Um, Do you want to sort of explain what happened in, in 2020? At one point, I actually thought, that I didn't think that, but it, it crossed my mind that I was like, Amanda, you fully believe that what you put out to the universe happens. And you kept saying to yourself, well, yeah, I'm great at these habits, but I've never really been tested. So who knows if I would do it in that time, right? So that was the, the self-doubt dialogue that I had prior. And so part of me was like, I'm so sorry, I created this because I didn't know if I was up <laughs> for it, right? <laughs> Which I know is not true. But um, so Rob, in t- my husband in 2020, in November, developed a heart condition from having COVID earlier in the year, which escalated to a point of having quite significant and severe um, events, which were life-threatening, and subsequently underwent a heart transplant last year in October in 2022. You've told that very fast. It's a, it's a very I have. big story. I was like, how much detail um, you want? Because I could... <laughs> Well, I mean, he he was it. First of all, he he got he got COVID, and he was very early on. Correct, he got yes. a COVID quite yes. early, March twenty twenty. Yeah, he okay, flew so in early. from New York with COVID. Right, yeah, he brought it home very early in, yes. and he was a fit, healthy guy. How old? Super fit, uh, thirty eight at the time. Yeah. Thirty eight. Okay, obviously no vaccines at that time, and he recovered no. reasonably well from COVID. Very well. So we both had COVID and we got super fit. We did this program that was like, it was almost like we were like, oh, let's prove how fit we can get now. And he in the, so that was March. In the October, he actually did a cancer ride for kids where he rode 1,200 kilometres in a month. So he likes to cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on November 7th, I think it was, he collapsed doing a workout. Like, yeah. So, and it was just a really hot day. We didn't know what it was. So the baffling thing for all the doctors were like, you had zero symptoms between March and November. And he was like, no, you know, like you, usually with what he got, which was dilated cardiomyopathy, uh, caused from a virus going to your heart. Yeah. So usually you would get dizzy and breathless and there would be these symptoms. But he literally, it's not even we could look at it in hindsight and go, oh, that's what that was. Like he couldn't yeah. even match it up. That being said, he's, like if you think I'm disciplined and focused, he's like next level crazy super beast athlete. So in November 2020, he's he's a very he's a very sick man, and the yeah. doctors are saying well, how quickly we didn't know. So okay. he collapsed, and one of the things that I'm so thankful for and makes me shudder every time I think about it was it was all kind of happenstance. We had these appointments booked that we didn't book, that New South Wales Health booked. I turned up to mine. He didn't turn up to his. And I said to them, oh, look, my husband collapsed on Wednesday, which was two days before that. And they just said, get him in right now. So it was only through the quick acting of the doctors that then they referred him on to a cardiac specialist and they did all these tests. And they said, oh, your heart function is actually very low. This is not okay. We're going to put a defib in. So they put a defibrillator 
an implanted defibrillator in him just in case. They literally said to us, we don't know if you'll ever need it again. However, if that happens again, this will save your life. And that ended up being what happened is that he just deteriorated really quickly. And early January the next year, it went off for the first time. Wow. So from that point on, um, or what? at what point did they say to you, this isn't going to work, he's, he's, he's critical, he's going to need a heart transplant or yeah, so I don't know if they gave time, you an or. No, there's no or. <laughs> at that time, his quick-acting doctors also sent us to what ended up being his heart transplant specialist just in case. He was like, look, we don't know anything. We only know that this virus acts really quickly. And when we visited Professor Haywood, he was like, oh, you don't need a heart transplant. You're not going to need it for years. Did all the tests, looked at the MRIs, and he was like, I don't see this as – so from that point in January, February, whatever that was, to June that year after he'd had another episode and went in for an ablation, and they said we actually couldn't do anything because there are so many sites now we can't fix it. We'd only wreck your heart muscle that you've got, mm. and you actually need a heart transplant. So I don't know that much about – um heart transplants i'm on the transplant i've signed my forms and, an and done them Beautiful. i'm an organ donor um, and i've also told my family so to remind them yeah. that if there's ever a need don't don't question it just give and my organs away but at this point i would just say to people that's the most important bit because the stat of your family not being able yeah, to do it I've, at that point. I've, really and I've high. read that, that they can overrule that quite easily. So I've said don't overrule yeah. it. I, I, I want my organs if they're any good. But I know a bit, a bit about organ transplant from that point of view, but I I know very little about waiting lists. It feels like it's there's not a lot of organs around for people. How did he, well, was he, was he a priority on a waiting list? Uh, no, so for all the thing you saw us go through there were way sicker people than rob so there were some people in hospital waiting for a heart transplant some people hooked up to machines that were making their heart function for them which what we were looking at if this went longer than it had to so the way they match an organ to a human is pretty much the first match is size weight and blood match mm-hmm. now rob's six foot five and 105 kilos of muscle at the time so if you consider that uh, the stat is like 2% of people can end up donating their organs who are organ donors because they have to die in a very specific way. I always say to people, how many people that look like Rob do you see walking down the street? That person has to be an organ donor, die in a way that they can donate their organs. And sorry if this is triggering to anyone who is in the transplant space. So in the 11 months that he was waiting, that was what kept coming through our minds. And I was like, oh, my God, like that, is this going to happen? They told us an average of six months. However, that was a big caveat with our like, but also it has to be a size and weight match and you are you and you have a pretty big heart. So we're going to have to have the right, it has to be the right match or there's no point. And it happened. Yeah. When they called, weirdly, they said, Rob, I think we found the perfect heart for you. And they kept saying that the whole day, the transplant, like even when they called me, because heart transplants can be called off at any stage as well. There's so many checks that has to go through up to the point of putting it in the recipient that can mean it's not viable it's also a very quick process so when they ring you it's not like i'll go about my day it's like we're in motion i know is that correct we were on call for 11 months like a mum was like come to melbourne i'm like yeah we can't leave like we can't do anything we have to we've told the hospital that we live within 45 minutes of them maybe an hour and a half in peak hour 
that is the room that we have to work with. And if we go any right. further, we have to tell them. Um, so from that, we actually thought it would be quicker. And the way it was explained to us was when we call you, we understand what time you're coming in and then everything else happens. Because obviously there's another family on the other side of this, which Rob and I are yeah. all too well aware of because my dad was an organ donor 10 years ago who have to be told what time machines are being turned off and when their loved ones being taken to um, harvest their organs, all triggered by the recipient getting to the hospital and doing the checks and the bloods and everything that they have to do, which takes a couple of hours. However, when they called us, it was one o'clock in the morning and they said, we just need you here by five, but if you can get here by two or three, that would be great. So which tells me it probably came from interstate. So it depends on the situation. Amanda, did you say your father was an organ donor? Yeah, he had a stroke 10 years ago and we donated his organs, yeah. That makes me just incredibly emotional. That's always the thing that gets me too. Like that's, I'm always very matter-of-fact when I'm talking about Rob. There's certain things that trigger me. But when I think about Dad and Rob, it's it's just like this is crazy. Like, I, But it helped well, it always helped me knowing that dad's death helped others. Yeah. But when we got the call, understanding what the other family was doing weirdly helped. Or I don't know. It wasn't comforting because I knew what they were going through. But um, I don't know. Just that, that greater understanding helped. And it means that Rob and I have spoken about this. He doesn't have something called survivor's guilt, which is quite common. Yeah. Because he understands that he didn't cause that death. That death just helped him live. So um, we have a very sound understanding of that given our experience with my dad. Yeah. So I know this is in so many ways Rob's story, but I want to know about mm. about you. And during this long wait, as you said, when you have a sick husband, you have a lot of uncertainty. You have two sons who still need to go to school you've got a business yeah yeah what were the things you leaned on to help you get through I mean assume friends and family but within yourself yeah. uh within myself that's I have never been more grateful and more proven right <laughs> than having my systems and routines in place to understand that I was a priority in that time because everything I did was for him or the kids. There, there wasn't much I did for me except for my daily habits. And they changed over time depending on what was available to me. But the tools that I have helped me draw on them in a pinch. So whether Rob was in hospital, I knew to wear my workout clothes to the hospital. So if he had to go and do a test, I was out walking. I wasn't sitting around because I didn't have the appropriate attire. Um. Or if he was in hospital, I took the time to do my morning routine and connect with the kids and then go because understanding that if I give myself, like if I give all over to that, that I will not be okay. One of the things that became evident to me really early on was the lack of voice for carers in this space and, and probably any illness. I think there's a feeling amongst carers that we're not the one going through it, so who are we to complain, right? But the task for carers is just overwhelming you have to try change everything so while I used to get up in the morning and do me first I was like I have to stay with Rob because when he wakes up he's quite panicked he suffered quite a bit of PTSD from his device shocks so amongst the heart 
Thalia was also a man who was living in distress and barely moved because he didn't, he thought he was going to die. Yeah. So I used to stay awake until he went to sleep. I used to stay in the bed until he woke up and I knew he was okay. I would go on and then when everybody was at school and settled, then I would go and do my morning routine. And I had to just keep saying to myself, it's okay to switch it. Like this is, as long as you're getting it in, you of all people understand that as long as it's getting done, you're having, you're allocating this time to yourself. And I couldn't leave the house. Like Rob was so in fear that I could barely walk around the block, like in case something happened. Yeah. So everything that I was doing was in our four walls. So I've never been more grateful of those systems and habits and the sheer priority I put on my health to make sure that I'm okay for everything I want to achieve in life than I was in that phase. What What was the biggest lesson you learned from from this whole very, very difficult situation? Uh, the biggest lesson. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I probably sound like a bit of a broken record, but it is definitely, you know, when you are in a position where you have to prioritise others first, and, and most mothers are in that position, so that's just how it is, that, you know, however you want to put it, oxygen mask first, take care of you. Um, so other than that health aspect, probably the biggest lesson I learned was I had to be okay asking for help. Yeah. Whereas was that I hard was not for you? traditionally good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had friends start to offer things. I have beautiful friends around me, which we only moved to Sydney, you know, at that time it had only been a couple of years. So I was so grateful. And at one point someone offered me something and I said, listen, I've had to promise myself that if someone offers, I have to say yes, because otherwise I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, it's okay, I'll just, and I would like, and they said, no, no, as I said, just so you know, like, and I had to tell everybody, if you offer, I've, like, that's my commitment to myself, that I have to say yes, whether I think I need it or not, because I definitely need the rest at some point. <laughs> so, what, what about for not everyone's going to go through an experience as as dramatic as as your family's, but there certainly people have very difficult times and times of great pressure and, and stress. The the physical stuff and and the routines were obviously incredibly helpful. Was there something that you would tell yourself? Was there a way of thinking that you would try to remember, a, a way you would try to be that helped you to get through those really pointy moments of stress? So anytime, the best way I can explain it is that theoretically I knew, obviously, that this is a high-stress, dangerous situation, urgent, 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 life-altering. But I had to remind my, and you could sit in that all the time, and I'd, so the biggest thing for me was I would do self-check-ins. So I'd be like, am I okay? Yes. Is Rob okay? Yes. He's lying next to me or doing whatever he's doing right now. He's not in urgent danger right now. Are the kids okay? So I'd have these checks that I did. You know, I was talking about that neutral thinking before that reminded me of where we were at right now. Not what was coming because that was transplant and heart failure and potential heart episode at any minute. And when you're someone who has watched someone navigate a trauma like that, that becomes your trauma in a different way. So I had lots of trauma from seeing Rob go through these events. So for me, the thought of having to be calm during another episode like would immediately trigger my trauma response 
So that's where I would be. He's lying right next to me sleeping. He's fine. The kids are in their bed sleeping. That's because it would usually come at night. That's what I'll tell people. When you're busy during the day, you're just going about and it sometimes pops up. But when things go quiet and you're in the shower or everybody's in bed, that's when you go, <gasps> and everything is like, this could go really fast, really quick. And you can really, it can run away with you, which a lot of times people relate to that. They'll be like, it's always in the middle of the night, but always these thoughts come. And it's because it's so quiet. So it was that neutral thinking aspect of like, what is real right now? What can I do to change it? How can I help myself? And this is where I'll leave. Like, there's no point to me going forward. Amanda, Rob is well now, I will say, mm-hmm. from an outsider's perspective in the sense that he has had a successful operation. Is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. And how is yeah. he? He is very well. He's, you know, it's hard to explain this because he has had such a positive outcome from transplant. Mm-hmm. And if there's anyone listening to this that hasn't had such a, you know, there are lots of people who have a transplant who are now navigating a different organ failure or problem with a different organ, which is quite common. Transplant patients are incredibly high risk of getting skin cancer or other cancers because from the meds they use. So they're pretty much taking poison every day to be able to live their life so their body doesn't reject their heart. His immunity is killed off through these medications, so he's susceptible to any germ that's out there. Um, So we're constantly trying to keep him safe. However, he's riding his bike for 50 kilometres. He's now just this week doing trips for work. Yeah. So amongst it all, I actually got mad at him the other day because he was, like, getting changed for work, and I'm like, you know... I've like somewhat compromised and I'm not at like peak snatched fitness. And here you are just snatching back in. Like, good for you. Well, I saw you post the other so, day about like when you uh when you train you were training beside him and you sort of said, you know, when one of the benefits of your husband having a transplant is that you can like out out train him. Lifting heavier than him. And yeah, I'm out training him. And and then I went back into the garage and I was like, he's lifted all the weights that no uh, doubt like spurred him on. I think I, I, I mean, as we said, not everyone's going to experience a, a situation like this. But I also see that you're really keen for on people advocating for themselves in health situations, mm-hmm. and I do think that's an issue mm-hmm. for a lot of people, whether they go in uh, for a skin cancer or you know even something smaller, just things that go wrong. It feels yeah. like people don't always know that they have. Um, you know, an ability to ask questions or say, I don't understand, or I'd like another explanation. Oh, in terms of like a medical appointment? Yeah. Yeah. Look, one of the other benefits we've both had is that we've worked medical. So we understand how the system works. I don't, I, I, in many ways, we're very lucky. I don't know how people navigate this without the mindset that I have or the tools that I have or the discipline that Rob has, let alone the knowledge that we have from working in the medical space so that we understand that doctors aren't gods that we can ask a question and although our, his life literally was in their hands yeah if we didn't and we had great doctors that we could ask a question or we could say hang on i don't understand that or we could you know the reason i started my instagram was to support carers but also then i was like oh this community is amazing and then leaning on them and understanding you know getting the information self-advocating in medical appointments is something i'm very passionate about because and it probably dates back to even when I was taking my nonna, my grandmother, to her appointments. <laughs> I would ask her specialist because she only spoke Italian. And so then the specialist would tell her something and then I would ask him questions and she would get so mad at me. She'd be yeah. like, you don't ask just questions. Like, that's not how this goes. And I'm like, yeah, it is. 
this is a generational issue and if you need me to take you I'm asking the questions didn't my dad was very much the same when he when he got cancer and I asked some questions he was like no this is just what the doctors are saying and that's it he, he yeah. was very yeah. like yeah same thing very sort of mad about like questioning doctors and I don't know if it's necessarily yeah. questioning them like you said often your life is in no, their hands understanding right yeah. like it's helped me understand yeah. this And I think that's important for people in their recovery, right? Um, The more you can understand, the more you can realise what's going on can be helpful. Oh, it probably goes both ways because Rob and I are very knowledgeable. There were certain points where I was like, don't you just wish we knew nothing? And like (laughs) this guy over here who just got a pacemaker who's like, sure, doc, no worries. And he's going and living his life clueless as to what that actually means. But always definitely 95% of the time extremely grateful for that understanding I even thought that when I was having the kids you know like when you go to those antenatal classes and they tell you about labor and what your body is going to do and Mm. people who know anatomy and physiology have a deeper understanding of that than anybody else and Rob kind of looked at me after that class and he was like are you okay I'm like I kind of wish I didn't know that stuff now (laughs) like and I unknow it but at the end, it's always helpful. Like when you're going through the thing, it's always super helpful to know those things. And you can't know everything. And particularly navigating something like transplant or a chronic illness. Like she said, the doctor said to me, do you have any questions? I was like, probably. I've never booked my husband in for a heart transplant before. How do I know if I have more questions? Like they'll come up. Um, so if something arises, if you have the question and it often comes at home or out and about, I'd encourage write it down, put it in your phone. Rob and I have a shared calendar where his appointments are in and I'll always put in the notes like don't forget to ask about this if for when we're going to appointments because, you know, then you get home and you're kind of left to your own devices and, and if particularly for something as scary as this where a wrong medication can mean a lot of different things, a certain symptom can mean a lot of different things and you're always on the lookout for rejection and infection it's worth asking the question so amanda what what's next for you you've got a little bit more stability in your life what part of your life would you still like to see flourish and grow more everything's changed for me the answer to that's probably a little bit different than before transplant came into my world so now what i would like to see flourish is um, you know, what we can do with this, like what, I guess, service to others in the community, like wh- how, what areas need help? Let's, at the whole time we were going through this, I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's no help for X or oh, that's interesting. I found it really hard to understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would like to do is work within the space with people who are already experts and just say, you know, how can I help? Like, let me let me be your puppet. Like, <laughs> however you think I can be helpful, let me do that. In terms of awareness, fundraising, like whatever it is, carer support is probably my number one thing. There's a really big tax that comes on transplant families, and that is a financial tax that nobody talks about. So when your partner's sick, they can't work. So people, I had a, another transplant wife message me at the time and say, I feel so guilty. I had to go to work when my husband was like, Rob, and I was like, guilty? You had to pay a mortgage. Like, it's not you never choice. You won't be like, see you later. I know you think you're going to die, but I'm out of here. Like you yeah. have to go and earn money. And then when they're in hospital, neither of you are working. So it's, you know, if you live away from the hospital, you then got to get accommodation for two months to stay around the hospital. Like it is just such a huge stress on a whole family. Yeah. 
and there is not enough help. So what I would like to see flourish is our role in that for sure. Well, you're an amazing communicator and I imagine you would also be a great advocate for a lot of people. Well, you already are. Can you tell people where they can find you? You've got two separate accounts on Instagram. So I'm on Instagram at uh, Amanda underscore Hodgson underscore and that's H-O-D-G-S-O-N and also at heart transplant wife I think it's what is it I don't even know my own handle it's heart.transplant.wife we can put it in the show uh, which we thought about changing now that I don't know if you've noticed Rob starting to appear a bit I, the reason I created that I actually blocked Rob from that page to start with because he was like it was like my journal and I wanted an outlet that I didn't have to feel bad about that he would hear how bad I was doing or how well I was doing and then a couple of months ago he was like can I have the passcode to that and I was like sure and he's like started to watch things and appear a bit more and Oh, has he? He's, he's, he's muscling yeah. his way in. Oh, well, that's that's probably yeah, a good sign. Yeah, exactly. I was, he's like, should we change the name? I was like, no, get your own page, mate. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> but the other day he sent me a picture up. of, um, yeah, he sent me a picture of himself, like a selfie that he took and sent it to me and said, put this on the page. It's my first work trip. And I'm like, who are you? Like, what, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Amanda, it's been so great speaking to you. I love watching you on Instagram. You are just, as I said, you're inspiring, but you're very real. I, I you know, and you've and you've been through a very remarkable journey. I don't think that that is necessary to, to be amazing like you are, but the fact that you've weathered it as you have, um, I think, is really inspiring to a lot of people. So thank you so much, and thank you for all the work you're doing advocating for for other people. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I hope we talk again soon. Definitely. And, and I, like I said at the start, I really appreciate you giving me the platform to have this message and not just about transplant. So thank you so much.